part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. To open up the Philippians chapter 3, we're going to finish that up this morning. And, and I, I really appreciate the, our, our worship team and, and the way that they lead us every week. And uh, we took kind of a really simple approach this week because we wanted just a, that, that coming before Christ. And we really see that kind of methodology uh, in a lot of the old hymns. We, we see that. Have you ever noticed, I think I've shared this with you before, about a lot of the old hymns, you know, talk about the struggles in life. But by the time you get to that fourth stanza, and it, it seemed like old hymns always had at least four stanzas. Now, when they came to that fourth one, it was always something about heaven. That it took you from the struggles of this world, and, and eventually, by the end of that song, you were there in the gates of glory. But there's a song like Amazing Grace where it talks about, you know, our struggle and all the difficulties of life. But then we get to that last verse, and when we've been there 10,000 years. And it gives us that perspective. Now, why did those authors do that? Is that just an easy formula to follow? Well, it might be, but I think that they're getting their lead from the Bible because the Bible continually does that in our lives. Here's, I think, one of the knocks against Christianity is that somehow if we really put this life into action, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, that we're just kind of oblivious to the things of the world. Folks, that's not true. And I think that we'll see that in today's passage. Christ never said that, we, that this life was not without pain, it was difficulty. It has joys. It, it has ups and downs. It is this marathon that we've been talking about. And very much in this marathon, we're going to have times when we're just kind of gliding along. And then there's going to be times that it seems like we truly have hit the wall. And we just cannot even make another step. Christians are not ignoring the fact that life can be difficult. We just keep things in perspective. Because whether you start in Genesis and you go all the way through Revelation, you're going to see that one thing that God is continually trying to do by His Word, by giving us kind of an overview of all of eternity, is trying to take our minds and our hearts that are so focused on the temporary, and He's continually with this Word and with the hope of Christ, stretching those out so that we would truly have an eternal perspective. Now, on Sunday mornings, it's kind of easy to have an eternal perspective. We get into God's Word, or maybe we're studying with somebody else, or we sing some songs or something like that, and, and we kind of get that little glimpse of glory, and we kind of get that perspective. But how long does it take you, even by Sunday afternoon, certainly by Monday morning, that that perspective starts to really start to shorten? And all of a sudden, we're best to be able to get past you know, the two or three circumstances that we're fighting for this week. I wish I could give you a promise that, hey, guys, this will get, you know, get better as you get older. Sometimes I think maybe it just gets different when we get older. I don't know that it gets better. But what we do find is that God has given us an answer to this. And it's the same answer. Well, we, we live in a society that we always want something new. We're intrigued by new. And so we want a new way to do Christianity because maybe the old way seems either archaic or it just seems you know, burdensome or heavy. But the one thing that we, if we go to the Scripture, and then the Scripture is our foundation, we're not going to find a new way to do Christianity. There's one way to do it, and that is you trust Him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, everything that's about you. You trust Christ with everything because He is worthy of our trust and our praise. And then we just live in that trust and that faith, knowing that there will be crisis to faith. How many honestly would say this past week, if we just go back seven days since the last time that we assembled together, that you've had a crisis of belief? 
Just kind of raise your hand. You don't have to tell us what it is. I'm not going to ask you to give us a point. But if you had a crisis of belief. Now, Satan would love for you to think that that would make you odd. That somehow that's just, you know, a deficiency maybe in your faith. Folks, it's called real life. And we see that throughout the scriptures. I mean, we have people like Abraham. I mean, is Abraham kind of one of those heroes of the Old Testament? You're going, hey, if I could be half as good as Abraham, I'd like that. And yet, what do we see in Abraham's life? You know, we see times when it comes up and, and somebody asks him, this uh, Sarah, who is that? And he lies about who his wife is. Why? Because for that moment, he felt the weight, the pressures of, of the conditions that he found himself in. And that moment, folks, he did not swim high. He sank. Even the greatest of saints have struggled from time to time. And that's not for us to become complacent in our struggle, but it's, where do we place this? When we have those crises of belief, when we have those times when we are completely overwhelmed, what does the Bible tell us to do? What does God invite us and instruct us to do? And we will find that answer this morning in one of many passages that we could turn to. Uh, it's one of those situations where... Uh, Sometimes when we're having present struggles and present difficulties, you need a future hope. Have you ever been ready to go on vacation, maybe a seven-day vacation? You're going to be off for the whole week, and you're really excited about it. Doesn't that always seem like maybe the most difficult week of work right before? Like everything falls apart? And I mean, it's just, I don't know what it is, but it's that week before vacation, and the only thing that gets you through that week is, okay, Monday, I am out of here. Or, you know, Friday, I am out here. Monday, I am in Aruba or wherever it is. You know, I'm laying on a beach by Monday morning. And and that kind of gets you through. But there's a measure of that kind of principle of future promise and future hope that God very much says should be a part of a Christian's life. That is that we get beyond the temporary, not ignoring it. He never calls us to be ostriches that put our heads in the sand and ignore the circumstances that we're in. But he says, okay, well, can you expand this and get an eternal view? And it's amazing how when God does that through the Holy Spirit and through his word, and he begins to stretch our minds and our hearts and our perspective out that all of a sudden those things that really seemed big weren't so big anymore. Even those things that seem the biggest. The loss of a loved one. I, mean, I, I know of very few things in life that are as heavy and overwhelming than the perspective of losing a loved one. Just last year, I lost my dad. I lost my sister. I, I was not prepared. I, I, folks, I, I've done well over 400 funerals. I, I've been with family after family after family. But until it hits your family, it, it's a whole new thing when you have to start preaching to yourself. And my need for comfort from Christ was as great as any comfort that I could ever share with another family. I did a funeral yesterday. Uh, beautiful 87-year-old lady that uh, I just knew for the last probably 25 years. The first week at, uh, uh, at my old church, her husband was dying. And, and that kind of, we, we were kind of together from that point on because we walked together. We, we held hands through that. And yesterday we, we did her funeral and, and you could see the heaviness in the family. And so what do you do as a pastor? What do you do as a preacher at that time? To, to see the hurt. This is grandma. This is mom. This is great grandmother to so many. How do you replace that? How do you comfort in that? By giving biblical perspective. Because there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever. 
I mean, if she's not in heaven, then I don't have a chance of being in heaven. I promise you, this woman was just, you know, she was, not because she was a good woman, because she had a belief and faith in Jesus Christ. There's our hope, guys. And it doesn't have to be on that scale of maybe losing mom or grandmother or our sister or brother. Or, 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 it doesn't have to be that heavy of a weight. But I promise you, continually we're going to have to come back to the Bible and get perspective. If not, we will be overwhelmed because our vision will be more and more and more and we will start concentrating on that circumstance before us instead of what we just sang about. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Because that's what the instructions that we had. Remember Hebrews? Hebrews 12, just from last week. It said, fix your eyes. Train your eyes on Jesus. Oh, and all your problems go away? No. All your problems come into perspective. Still heavy. And yet we find out that we have one who will carry it with us. Open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3, but look on the screen as I read from um, 2 Corinthians, because I want you to know that, that Paul's approach was very consistent to every church. He just didn't go to one church and say, okay, guys, here's the antidote to you know, heaviness and being overwhelmed in life, and here's what you do. No, whether it was this church or that church, whether it was Peter, John, no matter what the New Testament writers, they all had the same prescription, and that is that when life really gets heavy and overwhelming, there's only one resource that we have that brings a measure of perspective and comfort. Here's what he said to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. I mean, I could stay right there. In this marathon of a race, I don't know that there's going to be as many of us that would say, I don't believe in God anymore as there will be those that say, no, I'm just losing heart. I don't know that many of us will come upon a time in our life where we will just say, no, I don't believe that Christ died for my sin. I don't know that we'll turn away from those foundational beliefs. But I do think that there will be many times in our lives that we are tempted very much to say, you know, I've just lost heart. I'm just overwhelmed. And so what is he He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, amen, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then verse 17 is either going to be crass to you and it's going to be offensive to you or it's going to be a comfort to you. It's going to hit you one way or the other this morning depending on where you are in life. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Can you see where that would be offensive if you're going through dramatic things in your life? See, when I preached yesterday, I, I, I used this verse often at a funeral from Corinthians where Paul says, Oh, death, where's your sting? I said, either Paul was the most arrogant, unfeeling, crass of all individuals, or he knew a secret, a, a way of answering this deep need in our heart when we've lost somebody. Because when he said, Oh, death, where's your sting? That's offensive to somebody who just lost a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter or, or a friend. He was trying to bring perspective. He says, look, yes, there's a temporary loss, but I want you to know that that's even light and momentary in comparison to what's going to happen in eternity. It's not light when you only look at world standards, and it's certainly not momentary when you look at world standards. 
Folks, we can go into times of depression. We can go into times of, of just regression that last days, weeks, months. It doesn't seem light and momentary. It only seems light and momentary in what? In comparison to what God has promised us. Verse 18. As we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, I would think that many of us this morning would agree with that, that we would say, yes, I believe that. And yet, how difficult that is to live out, especially when you're the one under that affliction. Because it doesn't seem either light or momentary. And there's something about Satan's deception. Remember, folks, you know what, remember what Jesus said about Satan? <laughs> that everything that comes, not some of the things that come out of his mouth are lies. He says, everything the guy says is a lie. He's always deceiving. He's not sometimes deceiving. He's not mostly deceiving. He says everything he says is a lie. And so what seems to be neither light or momentary, folks, it gets a lot of backup from the evil one. And I'm not saying that Satan comes up and whispers everything right into our ear. Sometimes it's our own, you know, fallenness and our own struggle as a human. There's a lot of times that we're going to find out in life that, man, this doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem momentary, and yet there's the hope of Christ. I can make a strong case that that's what Paul's doing in Philippians chapter 3. So if you turn there, uh, Philippians chapter 3, we've been looking at it for a long time. Uh, the last three or four weeks, we've been comparing uh, Paul's comparison of the Christian life to a race. And we've established that this race is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It is something that uh, this... It is not just to go to heaven. This race is Christian maturity, Christ-likeness, that what God has in mind for us in this lifetime is that you and I would grow more and more like Christ. Romans 8.29, that more and more we would be found in the image of Christ. Now, we will eventually go on to heaven, but the race that he's talking about here is not really the race toward heaven. That's not so much the finish line as maturity in Christ. But look what he does right after this. He begins to bring in, as we will see in the text today, that even though maturity in Christ is the race that we're running, eventually it is going to end up in heaven. That, that's, that's our glory. That, that's where we want to end up, with the Father. He used words like pressing on, straining. He uses all these different words. And then he does something in verse 18 and 19. We're going to look at real quick that... that is really kind of divisive. There are certain people in the Philadelphian, uh, in the um, church at Philippi that um, were not true believers. And Paul calls them out. In our day, we would say, Paul, you're a hater. And that, that wasn't his motive whatsoever. This is not motivated by hate. He's not just trying to pick sides in, in the sense of, okay, I like you, but I don't like you. There were some in, in the church among the Philippians that were false teachers. There were some in the community, the Judaizers, that were not preaching the truth of the gospel. And Paul basically, in verses 18 and 19, to set up the next two verses, calls them out. Look what he says. For many um, whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears. See, that's why he's not a hater. He said, it's the only time that I know of, now you can correct me, you can find another one, but it's the only time I know of in the New Testament that Paul talks about tears. Folks, he's brokenhearted that these people are not following Christ. I now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their sh- they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He, he begins to describe these people, and he doesn't say, well, you know, they're adulterers, they're this, they're that. There was probably some Christians there that had that on their resume. He, he's not pointing out specific sins as much as he said, okay, when you look at these people that are not following Christ, here's the overwhelming thing that we see is characteristic of them. They've made their home here. Didn't point out a particular sin. He said the one characteristic that, that I say, man, they, they, their appetite is to fill their belly. And he wasn't talking about donuts and Krispy Kremes. He was talking about just, you know, they, this is their home. Last part, verse 19, with minds set on earthly things. A repeated characteristic of the writings of Paul in the contrast of those who are walking with Christ and those who are not walking with Christ. Folks, we love to make our list. Oh, you're a what? Well, then you can't be a Christ follower. Folks, if you've ever sinned, then you're a sinner. And now you can go to the cross and you can get forgiveness for that or you can continue on your sin. But God doesn't say, I mean, we're, we're just so famous of telling the world by the church what we're against instead of who we're for. Paul wept over these people. We see Jesus Christ. He goes up. He's about to go die on the cross, guys. And he goes up on that hill, and he's looking over Jerusalem. And when I was in Israel, I got to, to go to that vantage point where he was. And it's not a very big mountain, so you, you know, you're going, okay, it may not have been right here that he was praying, but it had to be at least there, 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 there. You know, it's just not that big. So you know that you're getting this vantage point of looking over the city of Jerusalem where Jesus was, and he wept for Jerusalem. When was the last time that you really cried over the sins of, of people instead of just pointed out their sins, guys? So they just say, man, you, you know, you keep on doing that, you're going to go to hell. I mean, we're, we're so... It breaks my heart. That's not the gospel, guys. It's not the gospel. We're sinners saved by grace. That doesn't mean that we become complacent to sin. We're to be holy people, righteous people. But I love Paul's approach here. He doesn't cut short the the gospel, but he tells these people, he said, man, here's what I see characteristic of you. You, You've made this earth your home. He did the same thing with the Colossians. Look what he told them. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of earth. Set your hearts, set your minds on the things that are above. Let it be characteristic of you. If you're a Christ follower, let it be characteristic of you that you live here, but this is not your home. Here's the difficulty. Anybody ever live in heaven yet? (laughs) This is the only place I've ever lived. And so it feels like home. Does it feel like home to you? that we make much of this, that we want every day that we can get here and we want to maximize our life here, that in itself is not so much evil as it is this mindset that we get that we just consider that this is our home. But the Bible would say just the opposite. It actually uses some very graphic terms. It says you are, you're aliens here. So it's like we're from outer space. But that once you become a Christ follower, once you're a Christian, that in this world you're considered like 
this alien that's coming from another world. Why? Because now your citizenship is somewhere else. As we will find out in verse 20 and 21, it is now in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4.18 And we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. We just read this a little while ago. Look what, but look at the point he's making. We look at the things that are uh, seen, but, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see the point that Paul's making? You don't become a Christian because you start putting your mind toward godly things. But because you are a Christian, you start thinking of godly things. It's not okay if you get over that 51% thinking of godly things, 49% thinking of earthly things, up, oh, you just made it into Christianity. No, that's not what he's saying whatsoever. He said, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're following him. He said, one of the things that's going to become characteristic of you as you mature more and more in Christ is that your mind is going to be more and more and more to godly things. And you will know more and more that this is not your home. Now let's get to Philippians 3, 20 and 21. What's the first word of verse 20? But. So, so he's kind of the contrasting here. He said, but. You know, he's made one statement. And what was that statement? Verse 18 and 19. He's weeping over the condition of these people. He's not a hater. He's not saying, oh, these are the worst people. We're the good people. Y'all are the bad people. No, he said, these people have made this world their home. Their appetite is here, and their focus is here, and this is their home. And now he uses that word, but, to contrast, because he's going to start talking about somebody else. Now he's talking about the Christian. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And do, you, do you grasp what Paul is saying here? And again, remember that God is inspiring Paul. This isn't Paul's wisdom for the, the moment. This is the inspiration. This is God's word. This is the holy word. So what is God saying? Okay, guys, there's a mindset that comes from people that don't know Christ and have not trusted him, and, and they pretty much have said, okay, this is my home. But he said, I want you to have a different mindset if you are a Christ follower. And that you would realize that your citizenship is in heaven. He is not denying that we face a lot of challenges here. He is not saying that, uh, that there won't be times of pressing on and straining. He used those words just verses before. He's not saying that this is a walk in the park. But what he is saying that as we walk in this you know, life, that guys, that very much, that we need to fix our eyes on Christ and that very much, that we need to consider where our citizenship is. It helps us to understand that he was writing this to the Philippians. Can we show that map? I don't know that you can see this real well, but um, over here, like in this very top, is Rome. See Rome over here in Italy? The boot. Philippi is all the way over here. There's Galatia, Colossae, Ephesus. You know, these are all the different places that he traveled on his missionary journeys, and he took the word of the gospel with him. But do you notice where Philippi is? It's all the way across an ocean. It's, 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 you know, hundreds of miles away. 
And yet, do you know that the Philippians were, they were a Roman colony. So their citizenship, in a legal sense, was what? They were Romans. And do you think the Philippians cherished that? Liked that? They actually did. Because you know what came with that? Now, we think of the, the Jewish people, how did they feel about the Romans? Get, get me behind me. You know, they didn't like the Romans and all. But the Philippians and all these other places that were Roman colonies, there, there came a security with that. They tell you when you're in foreign countries, you know, keep it in a safe place, but take your passport. <laughs> because if there ever comes a question, you ever find yourself in a predicament, you're going to want to remind somebody who you are and where your citizenship is. Because with that comes certain rights. Now, you go into other countries, and you may lose every one of those rights right away. In fact, you, you may be kind of targeted because you're from the United States. But back in that day, to be Roman in this sense, there was a lot of protection. And so when Paul starts to talk about a citizenship of a place that you didn't live, the Philippians got it. And we're hundreds of miles from Rome. Many of the Philippians would never see Rome. And yet they were Roman citizens. Now think of the parallel there. You haven't seen heaven, I haven't seen heaven. And yet, what does Paul write here? What does God tell us in this verse 21? I'm sorry, verse 20. Where is our citizenship? It's in heaven. You haven't seen it? I haven't seen it? We seem like we're not just hundreds of miles. We seem like we're millions of miles from heaven. And yet Paul said, when you put your trust and faith, when you are a true believer, when you put all your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. Not a minute before you pass in this world, not when you've reached a certain age of maturity or a level of Christian maturity. He said, now as a believer, you are a citizen of heaven. Now what does that mean, guys? What does that mean? It means that while we're here, even though this is not our home, our home is there, we're constantly guided by the principles and by the edicts and by the truths that exist back where our real home is. Is it possibly so heavenly minded that you know earthly good? Possibly so. But I would think that most of us are probably challenged the other way. That we're so earthly minded that we just know heavenly good. I don't know that I'm really so, you know, that my head is so in the clouds thinking of, of Christ and the heavenly things so much on a week-to-week basis that the challenge to me is that somehow, you know, I'm so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. And I, I think the challenge would be on my week-to-week, maybe your week-to-week, is that we're so earthly minded that maybe we're not any heavenly good. But again, that's not to put a weight upon your back. It's to take a weight off. Why is he instructing this? So that we can be bright, shining little examples of Christianity? Yes. But more though, so that we can have a perspective, guys, as we go through this marathon race and we have the heaviness of all this, that we very much could say, you know, this is not my home. This is not forever. This is temporary and this is light in comparison to the glory that I will see one day. 
He goes from the present to the future. He says, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Remember we talked about this. There's those three theological words. Justification, that's when we come. and We're justified before a holy God because of what Christ has done. And this race, does anybody remember the word, the, the fancy word that we put with that? Starts with an S. Sanctification. We're in the process of sanctification. And then one day there will be glorification. Happens in a moment that we're justified. Happens in a moment that we'll be glorified. But this sanctification is a long process. He turns to this glorification. He says, one day, guys, one day, this will be a reality. And it's kind of funny. uh, The word that he uses there, when he says lowly body, the Greek word is humiliating. In other words, your humiliating body, your humiliated body. And I was studying that this week and I laughed and I was going, well, you got me. (laughs) This humiliated body, you know. And he says, but you're going to exchange this humiliated body for this glorious body. He says, I show you that so that you can hang on. I show that to you so that you can hang on. I think in the same way that Jesus did to his disciples, Jesus goes up to his disciples, guys, and he says, guys, I've got to part from you. For three years, they had followed with him. For three years, they said, we pledge our life to you. And then Jesus comes up after three years. I mean, how would you feel if Jesus goes, okay, I've got to go. I'm leaving. And every one of the disciples, I can only imagine they were distraught. And do you remember what happens in John 14? You know what he says? Let not your hearts be what? Believe in God, believe in me. I've got a plan. If I go, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, which will be in glory, you can be there also. He combined the present affliction with the future promise. And he said, I hope that this future promise brings you present understanding, encouragement, an ability to, to make it one more day. And sometimes in the marathon, guys, that's where we get. That's why Paul said, press on, strain ahead. He uses very aggressive words. Why? Because sometimes we do hit the wall. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. And Satan would tell us, this is the rest of your life. And God says, No. This is not the rest of your life. In fact, the word is so crude to say this is light and momentary in comparison to the glory that we will have one day. It doesn't feel light. It doesn't seem momentary. But guys, that's the eternal perspective. That's the hope that I need some days when I hit the wall mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally to know, okay, God, this is not, you know, this is not the, the weight this is not the, the, the torment that's going to finish me off here. You have something for me. A promise that is yet to be fully understood and realized. My citizenship is not here. It is in heaven. We're going to end today with um, a song that is, ever since it came out, Chris Tomlin wrote the song, I Will Rise, uh, several years ago. And, and the background of that story is, is kind of unique. 
Uh, they were on tour. You know, they do uh, the Passion Conference. He and Louis Giglow and some others, they, they go around, and they've really created a movement among young uh, millennials and others of just, you know, passionate followers of Christ. And he said, you know, we were sitting around one time talking, and he said, we really wish that there was some more songs like It Is Well. He said, you know, that, that It Is Well is just a great standard of that even though you're going through difficult, difficult times, it is well with my soul. Why? Because all the problems went away? No, because Christ is Lord. He said, we wanted a, a, another song that would kind of stretch our faith past the present and embrace the future. He sat down and Louis sent him some uh, notes and they came up with this song. And that's my prayer today, guys. I don't know what kind of week you had. I don't know what kind of week. We, nobody knows what kind of week we're going to have next week. But when we get to that place where the marathon just seems so bad and so difficult and so uphill that we go, I can't make it. That we remember the future promises and that we would allow Christ to give us perspective past those things that are present, not instead of, we're real people. We're not estrogens. You don't put your head in the sand. But that we would be able to get an eternal perspective. R- Ricky, will you come and uh, sing for us? Let's just pray together today, guys. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, I thank you that you have said right up front that we are citizens in heaven if we are Christians. Father, I don't know that we fully understand the weight of that. Father, the encouragement of that the hope of that. So, Father, will you, will you allow us to, to, to grasp that this morning? Father, there's going to be a day that we really are. You call us home. Or your son's going to return and find us here, Father. And I can't even begin to imagine on that day, Father, what it's going to be like to see you as you are, to see you face to face. So, Father, thank you that you have told us a little bit about that, enough, so that in our present struggle, Father, we can begin to have an eternal perspective. And so, Father, as we sing this song, Father, as we just kind of meditate upon your promises this morning, Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts. And that we would know as we leave here, if we put our trust in you, if we truly are Christians this morning, Father, then our citizenship is firmly now in heaven. Thank you, Father, for that promise. And until the day that you bring it into fullness, thank you, Father, for the grace that sustains us as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.